Would you join together with me in a word of prayer? And gracious Heavenly Father, in obedience to your claim upon our lives, we give ourselves to you in this day and with this worship and in this moment as well. That you would shape our hearts in such a way that, Lord, we might, might, be, might be encircled by you and that, Lord, we might find ourselves in you. That, Lord, you empower the obedience that we, that we desire in our hearts to trust you in greater ways and to know you and to love you and to serve you in greater ways. Teach us, Lord, I pray. And this we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, this morning I am going to invite you to return with me during this season of 60 Days of Prayer as together we've uh, joined the disciples uh, in learning how to pray. That was a question we began in January. Uh, It was a question asked of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke where the disciples said specifically, Lord, teach us to pray. And then in both Luke and in Matthew, Jesus responded by giving us what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. Now we find it in the sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, where uh, Jesus begins in, chapter nine, in verse 9 by saying, pray then in this way. And if you remember what I had said back in January, that is a, an incredibly critical point. He didn't say, pray this prayer or pray these words alone. He said, pray then in this way. And what we have here are, are wonderful words, a, a wonderfully composed prayer, but What we have here even more is an outline of the same priorities, the same agenda that Jesus has in his heart, uh, which provides us then the perfect pattern uh, uh, to discover our true priorities as well. It's not just a matter of words. uh, It's actually learning to, as N.T. Wright has written it, learning to take part in Jesus' own breath and, and in his own life and in his own prayers as well. Unfortunately, many just say that this prayer is a matter of words, a chant, as it were, which eventually loses its impact and its purpose and its meaning. Again, you may remember when we began this series, I suspected that more people actually just say the Lord's Prayer than actually pray it. And of of equal misfortune, however, I suspect that for many, the Lord's Prayer has never really actually been a conscious part of their basic training, and that too is a shame being ignorant of such a, a wonderful treasure. A number of years ago, uh, I heard Mike Singletary, the middle linebacker and one of the captains of the Super Bowl champion Chicago Bears, God bless him. Um, he told the story of, of, of having a team meeting, uh, uh, for, and, and, and uh, they met together for prayer before a game. Now, may, some of you may know that Mike uh, Singletary is really quite a dedicated Christian. He's an ordained preacher, um, and, and, and as, was as much of a chaplain for the Bears as he was a captain of the team. And so as the team met for prayer, he turned to one of the players who had recently come to faith and, and, and was part of the Bible study, and, 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 uh, and, and he asked the player to lead them in the Lord's Prayer, and everyone bowed their heads. And as Mike described it, there was silence and was prolonged, and, and so he opened his eyes and he looked over and he saw the player's face was tight and serious concentration and contemplation. And then finally, after a prolonged silence, he finally prayed. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I ask the Lord my soul to keep. That's not the Lord's Prayer, by the way. I hope you know. 
Look, we have a treasure, we have a jewel here with this prayer, where every word and every phrase of the prayer reflects the Lord's vision of what our lives should be and, and, and what our relationships should be and what our fellowship should all be, be all about. And, and as disciples of Jesus Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of God, as children of a heavenly family, uh, uh, the spirit of this prayer really does provide a, a unified, all-embracing response to the love of a heavenly Father. So a, 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 as we seek his glory, we pray this prayer, and, and, and we trust in his care, and we obey his word, and every moment of every day, with each breath of this prayer, we learn something of the spirit of Jesus Christ. I love the way J.I. Packer put it. He said, If therefore we are to pray the Lord's Prayer with understanding and sincerity, we must make this vision our own. And so when I say, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, I should be adding in my, in my mind the words, In and through me. And so giving myself to God afresh to be, so far as I can be, the means of answering my own prayer. And when I say, thy will be done, I should mean that this is as a prayer that I, along with all of the rest of God's people, may learn to be obedient. Here, more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, which is seeking to practice magic, but to bring my will into line with his, which is what it means to practice true religion. And so we've been learning to pray, phrase by phrase over these weeks. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And now this morning, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I I will freely confess to you at first glance when I when I sought to look at this alone, it seemed incredible to me that Jesus would tell his followers to pray that the will of God would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why why didn't he know that the will of God is always accomplished? Didn't he understand that all things come to pass because God is capable of decreeing it so? No matter if it's in heaven or earth, if it, is, if it is his will and he is omnipotent, why make this a matter of prayer? Well, I guess the first thing we need to know is that in the Bible, the will of God has several nuances of meaning, two of which really stand out in this prayer. The first is what theologians would call the sovereign or efficacious will of God simply means that what he wills does come to pass and cannot be resisted. That's what I had in mind when I first turned to to this phrase in the prayer and I took it to heart. It's the sort of nuance that defines God's will as both an irresistible force and an immovable object at the very same time. The type of thing that we read of in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, you are, not the God, are, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and power and might are in your hand, and no one and nothing can withstand you. That's the sovereign, efficacious will of God. There's a second nuance in this understanding of the will. It's what we call the preceptive will of God. 
which describes the intentions or the will that God expresses to us as human beings through his law and his commandments, the precepts that he issues in order to guide and direct the behavior of his creation. For example, we have the Ten Commandments. It's an expression of his will, and it's an expression of his will in those Ten Commandments that we would have no other gods before him. That's his stated desire. And yet, this preceptive will of God, (laughs) we violate it each and every day, do we not? And so in this prayer, this concept of God's will is at stake. But the question is, what precisely are we being taught to pray for by Jesus? If it's God's sovereign will that is at stake, then I have to imagine that Jesus is saying to us, when you are on your knees before God, I want you to remember again who he is and who you are and whose will is going to prevail. <laughs> Let's face it, we, we certainly need frequent reminders of that truth. I know I do. Yes, we have a free will, but our free will is always and everywhere limited by God's sovereignty. And so where there's a conflict between my will and God's will, mine must give way. Not my will, but his will is sovereign. That is a great truth to take to heart and a great place to begin. A great place to start. But, but, but there's something more here at stake. Because Jesus as a qualifier in this prayer. Notice he he tells us to pray that God's will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the very same way in which it is done in heaven. Now those very words suggest that there is a discrepancy between the accomplishment of whatever will of God Jesus has in view here, which is in heaven, and then how it is accomplished on earth. You see, in heaven, there is no conflict over God's will. It is all sovereign. The angels obey, and sin is non-existent in heaven. It's on earth where we really have a problem. And in making this a matter of prayer, Jesus is affirming that the will of God is done in heaven, and at the same time is affirming that it is not being done on earth. That we do not strive to glorify God. We do not seek the kingdom of God. We do not hallow the name of God. And because on this side of heaven, we have this thing called free will, where we are constantly banging into God's preceptive will, we have to make up our minds. And do it on a daily basis, which is why Jesus says, when you pray, pray this. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer. And it's not to be taken lightly. (laughs) I love the way Martin Luther called this particular phrase the fearful prayer. (laughs) He called it that saying, if people realized what they were praying, the words would stick in their throats. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven simply cannot be prayed by people who have never had the intention of God's of doing God's will to begin with. (laughs) It's a fearful prayer. The fact is, my sense is that none of us will find this prayer to be easy. 
Because we all like to be captains of our souls. We all like to be masters of our own fate. And it has been my experience that many have trouble with God's will because our wills have never been mastered by anyone. So it's no wonder that when we find ourselves at a great disadvantage when it comes to having a desire to conform to God's will. So so what is behind this prayer that Jesus is asking us to pray? The answer is, first of all, it's a command. You do it whether you feel like it or not. In the work, in the Greek, I'm sorry, the word be done is in the form of a command. It's an aorist imperative, which demands an immediate and passionate response. Be done on earth. Thy will be done. Be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a prayer that really needs to be prayed with force and with gusto. I like that word, gusto. It sounds German. And in praying in that way, it also becomes a matter of commitment. It's a matter of personal and individual obedience. Those two things stand together. Obedience to the command and willingness in commitment. You see, we could live our lives in such a way that this prayer will have the force of passion that comes from angry, clenched lips instead. It's a, it could be a forced resignation to a command. The example is clear. Uh, uh, Julian, the Roman emperor, uh, 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 he tried to turn the clock back, uh, uh, tried to reverse the decision that Constantine, the emperor before him, had already made that Christianity would become the religion of the empire. He did his very best. To, 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 to destroy Christianity, to reintroduce the worship and the service and the ceremonies of the ancient pantheons with himself as, as divine and at the head of it all. It finally came down to a final battle where he was mortally wounded. And historians tell us that as he, was lay, as he lay on the battlefield bleeding to death, he took a handful of his blood and he tossed it in the air saying, You've conquered, O man of Galilee. Thy will be done. It could be prayed with that sort of bitter sort of spirit. When we, 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 when we simply respond to the overwhelming sense of force that comes at his command, our prayer actually begins to sound this way. God, I wanted things to go my way, but they haven't turned out that way. So, okay, I turn them over to you. Have your way. I give up. Teach me not to grumble too much. Thy will be done anyway. <laughs> or... It could be a prayer said with a note of commitment as well. And even possibly carry in it a tone of cheer and buoyancy. That is how it is done in heaven. Thy will be done. Yippee! I I, I really love the idea that this prayer connects what is happening on earth in my life with what is happening in heaven even at this moment. I really love the idea that I can learn how to pray with lessons that are already seen in heaven. I can just imagine how this obedience is being played out up there as it is in heaven. A friend of mine, Kent Hughes, put it this way. He said, the glorified saints and angels find their greatest joy in doing his will. And they, and they probably wrestle with each other for the privilege of doing that will. And they probably do it with singing if the heavenly vignettes from the book of Revelation tell us anything. 
I mean, suppose we were to take one of the saints who we know, a saint who now resides in heaven. In the short period of time that I've been together with you here, starting into my third year now, let me just suggest a few names that may come to mind of saints you know who are in heaven. Maybe Ron Martin, maybe Reinhold Pelkey, maybe Erna Dumb, maybe Gus Bros. Those are a few of the names I know. You know many more. Now imagine if only one of them were to be materialized even this morning in this sanctuary, at this very moment. In coming back from heaven... That person knows God's will with a clarity that none of us can even begin to imagine. How do you think that person would go about praying that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? (laughs) Do you think there might be some passion in that prayer? Do you think there might be a yippee behind it all and, and a desire that it be done? You better believe it. And so how, how are we to pray this prayer? Well, let me suggest four critical factors rooted not only in this part of the prayer, but in the whole of the Lord's Prayer at large. First, we pray this by consistently keeping this prayer as the hard nucleus around which our hearts begin to beat. It becomes the metronome that begins to set the spirit of our lives. Second, We pray this consciously with the realization that the entire prayer is controlled by by one word, the word Father, dearest Father. (laughs) That makes all the world of difference, being reminded that his will is, in fact, one of a father and his love. And in light of that, we can fully realize then what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that his will is what is good and acceptable and perfect, and is to be done in our lives. So first, we pray consistently. Second, we pray conscientiously. And third, in praying this, we not only grow as as we pray, but we we expect even more growth as we pray. It takes an act of obedience to pray this prayer. And in that, a trust that God's will will be done in even the simplest matters and ways in our life. But having done that, the simplest things only become greater and deeper as we move along. We have enough knowledge of God's will to obey at the moment. And as we submit to that, we have enough in obedience then to to expect that we will even know more of his will as we move along. And finally, as we pray, it it is not just a matter of discipleship. It is a quest where we make this prayer our greatest joy. Years ago, when I was in seminary, uh, Elizabeth Elliot Leach, Gren, I think that's where the names ended, uh, she lived in South Hamilton and taught at the seminary a few classes. I took one with her, and she, I remember a, to- a story that she told that brings all of this home. She had just returned from a trip to England where she had stayed with a, a family in a farmhouse in Wales. One early morning, having her wake-up tea, she found herself watching the father of the house, uh, a Welsh shepherd, and, and his dog going to work. In the misty summer morning, she writes, the, the, the shepherd on horseback herded the sheep with the aid of his champion Scottish collie named Mac. Mac was in his glory. 
He came from a long line of working dogs, and he had sheep in his blood. (laughs) This was what he was made for, and this was what he had been trained to do. It was a marvelous thing to see him circling to the right and then circling to the left and barking and crouching and racing along, herding the stray sheep here, nipping at a stubborn one there. His eyes always glued on the sheep, but his ears listening for that tiny metal whistle from the master that, that I couldn't hear, but he certainly could. That day, Mac assisted the master who had arranged to dip his struggling sheep. Mac was beautiful as the sheep would attempt to escape the dipping tub. He would snarl and snap at their faces to force them back in. Mac's every move in the pen or out on the pasture was absolutely perfect. He seemed as good as the shepherd himself. Amazed, I I asked the shepherd's wife if the sheep had any idea of what was happening. Oh, not a clue, was the answer. And how about Mac, I asked. And her answer was unforgettable. She said, the dog doesn't understand the pattern, only the obedience. The dog doesn't understand the pattern, only the obedience. She says, I turned my eyes back to the pasture and I saw two creatures who were, in the fullest sense, in their glory. A man who had given his life to sheep, who loved them and loved his dog, and a dog whose trust in that man was absolute, whose obedience was instant and unconditional, and whose very meat and drink was to do the will of his master. I delight to do thy will, was what Max said with every bark. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Woof! To experience the glory of God's will for us means absolutely, absolute trust. And it means the will to do his will and then results in joy in abundance. Look, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, we have an advantage over Mac the dog. For we can understand something, at least, of the pattern and certainly someone of our master, our father. He is our creator. The one who set the stars in their trajectories as well as implanting the tender prince on a baby's finger. He is the God who in the person of Jesus Christ created the universe with his own hands and then allowed those hands to be nailed to a cross. His will be done. We can trust him in all things. Simple and in deep. And this is our greatest glory to pray and to live this prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) What joy and glory comes from obedience, absolute and unconditional. It's a daily privilege and a gift from our Father. And so we pray. And we pray from the heart. I would ask you to join with me in closing in this. And open your heart as you pray this together with me. Our Lord's Prayer. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.